I think we were in the mix in a lot of different ways, but I'll tell you, we're very, very happy that we are where we are. That was Evan Roberts from WFAN, and this is the J Reels Podcast. What's up, everyone? How's it going? Everything all right in your world? I hope all is bright and shiny wherever you may be. Welcome or welcome back to the J Reels Podcast. I'm your host, J Reels. From the jump, just want to say that I'm grateful and thankful that you're taking some precious time out of your busy day for me to engage and entertain you in delivering the latest and greatest of what's going on in the world of sports. Uh, on today's pod, I have Evan Roberts of WFAN in New York. He co-hosts the midday show from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. with Joe Benigno. In my opinion, Evan is one of the top sports talk show hosts out there. Not only is he very knowledgeable, but he's concise and doesn't skip a beat. He's truly textbook when it comes to his delivery, cadence, etc., which are very important factors in becoming a good host. We delve into various topics about his career, his start at WFAN. Was there ever a shot of taking over the famed radio real estate afternoon drive time when Mike Francesa left? Also dealing with obnoxious callers, just to name a few topics that we cover. Uh, obviously, we get into all that's going on in New York sports, uh, including his thoughts on what the Jets should do about the quarterback situation. Now, this was recorded on March 7th. So this was prior to the Jets uh, looking to sign Kirk Cousins, as was all the rage back then. But of course, he is now a Minnesota Viking. But it works out perfectly because when you hear his take of what the Jets or what he thinks the Jets should do uh, with the quarterback situation, it certainly fits in tune to where the Jets are going, considering that earlier today, as I'm recording this on St. Patrick's Day, the Jets made a trade with the Colts moving up from the sixth spot uh, that they own in the draft to the three spot as they traded with the Indianapolis Colts for their pick. And the Colts get the sixth overall, including two second round picks this year and one second round pick next year. So Jet fans, I understand you may look at that and say, hey, we gave up a lot of second round picks. But when you look at the plethora of busts that the Jets have had in the second round, uh, dare I even go, Vladimir Dukasi, Stephen Hill, Christian Hackenberg, uh, that's just to name a few within the last five, six years. So to me, that trade certainly was a boon for the Jets, knowing that these top four quarterbacks may be gone by the time they get to six. So this was a very enormous trade for them, for the organization, and they certainly can't blow it. But going back to Evan Roberts and his thoughts, uh, it certainly uh, relates to what the Jets may do here uh, when the draft comes up on April 26th. So without further ado, my conversation with Evan Roberts. All right, Evan. So uh, to get started, first and foremost, I mean, obviously, WFAN, you've uh, worked with Joe now for 10 years, if I'm not mistaken. Did you just have a uh, 10-year anniversary with you and uh, Joe in the midday? Yeah, our first show was January of 07. So now we're at oh, 11 years of 2018. Yeah, we're now we're 11. 11 years now. Yeah, so yeah. my math is off. Um, so my question to you is when you first started at FAN, um, and of course being the young guy, uh, I'm sure when you have all the old vets in there, obviously Mike Dog at that time, uh, you know, Steve Summers, you can go down the whole list. Uh, was it a little intimidating for you to get started uh, at the station, knowing that uh, it was going to be tough for you to fit in, being the young whippersnapper uh, going up to uh, WFAN? Oh, man, I was I was very, very nervous. I think I think what helped me is that before I started full-time with Joe in January of 07, we had done a couple of shows together, uh, uh, like probably six months earlier, ten months earlier, and he was just very, very nice to me and very cool to me and introduced me to everybody. So I think that that relaxed me. But the one thing I learned is that, and this is for anybody who's getting started at any job, and certainly in radio, is 
you just got to be yourself and be respectful. And, you know, eventually you'll feel more and more comfortable as the days go by and you fit in. But certainly, like at the beginning, I mean, I grew up listening to all these guys. So right. here's Don Imus on in the morning. Here's Beningo as my partner, who I listened to in the overnight. <laughs> right. Here's Mike and the Mad Dog after me. Here's Steve at night. So every single person around me is somebody I grew up imitating, trying to be. So it was definitely uh, it was exciting, but it was also very nervous at first. But you know, as, as time went by, you feel more and more comfortable, and you kind of look at them as as coworkers. And I certainly do that now. But uh, what about the callers? Uh, did you get a lot of flack in the beginning, considering that everybody knew who you know Joe was, knew who Mike and Dog was, Steve Summers, etc.? That uh, I'm sure you probably got a lot of callers trying to test you to say, "Ah, oh, you don't know, you know, about the Jets." Even though I know you're a huge Jet fan, but let's say they wanted to talk Jets early '70s in the days of Namath, and then here you are, uh, of course, being I guess when you were probably in your mid 20s at that time. Did you uh, come to a lot of difficulties with a lot of the callers in, in reference to your age? I think at first there was because a lot of people were like, who the hell is this guy? So they don't right. really know who I root for, what I know. Uh, I've always respected history and tried to learn it. So even if something happened you know, 10 years before I was born or 30 years before I was born for that yeah. matter, I try to like be aware of everything because I think the biggest mistake you can make is act like sports began when you started watching it. Like, <laughs> right. do that, especially at a station where a majority of the audience is older than you. So. Right. You don't want to, you know, kind of spit on what they remembered or what they grew up with. So, yeah, I mean, you're going to get tested early, but the one thing was you just have to show what you know, and hopefully you know enough, and it won't be a problem. But, yeah, I mean, at first, especially because, like, who the hell am I? You know, there's <laughs> Beningo, who people have been listening to for a long time, and even though I was doing overnights before that, you know, right. I don't know how many people actually listened to it. So, yeah. yeah, I got a lot of that early, but I think as time has gone by, and even now it's funny because there was a caller today and it wasn't, it wasn't what do you know. It was, Evan, you don't understand the pain. Oh. Until you're in your 40s or 50s, you're not going to understand the pain. And if this was said to me 10 years ago when I first started, I'd be like, yeah, you know, you're probably right. I'm only 24. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll see my team win someday. But I'm done with that. Right. I've seen way too much losing and way too much, hey, we came close that I didn't take it anymore. And I said, actually, sir, you don't know what it's like because you've won something. <laughs> yeah. Even if it was 40 years ago, even if it was like Beningo's case, 25 years ago with the Rangers or before that with the Mets, you at least have that in your memory sure. where you can go back to that. And now I'm starting to get a little bit more bitter because I'm 34. Mm-hmm. And so I've been a fan for, let's say, 25 years. You know, when you're eight or nine, you finally start to understand what's going on. Of course. I got nothing. I got, I got losing the Subway Series to the Yankees. Yeah. I got AFC title losses. I've got NBA final losses. Like, mm-hmm. that's cool, but it ain't that cool. So right. it's funny you ask that because I, I felt like I got that the other day with this whole, you don't know what losing is like. Oh, trust me. I, <laughs> I know what losing is like, sir. I have a little bit of an idea, pal. No, of course. And, and that's the one thing, too. I know fans can be fickle, and we all know in this market – uh, everybody, especially when they call into uh, Sports Talk Radio, they think they're a know-it-all. They think they've got all the facts, whatever. But I, I know, I've listened to you for many years, Evan, and one of the things that I've become enamored with your style and how you come across is because not only are you knowledgeable, but at the same time, you know, you certainly don't back down from anybody, whether it's somebody trying to bring up uh, old Met history or old Jet history or whatever it may be. And it, it shows. It comes across, obviously, on air, but you certainly don't back down you know, without coming out, puffing out your chest saying, yeah, you know, I'm Mr. You know, sports know-it-all, just like the callers are. I appreciate it. I mean, I just, you know, I try to do the best I can. I try to be real. The one thing I've learned from, from Joe, and I think what makes Joe amazing, and I've tried to keep this 
for my entire life and career is you just got to be who you are. You got to be real. You That's can't it. pretend. Whether no. it's an opinion, whether it's your personality, or whatever it is. I mean, I am what I am. So yeah. you know, some people are going to love it. Some people are going to hate it. And, that, you know, whatever. I mean, that's, that's right. what you got to do. But it's one of the things I always admire about Joe because people ask, oh, what's Joe like? And my answer is, oh, you know what he's like. You listen to the show. That's it. That's what Joe, that's what Joe is like. And I, and I hope that's what I'm like. I hope I'm not any different. And I certainly try not to be. No, no, you're certainly, uh, you come across great. And obviously the chemistry with you and Joe is, uh, is unparalleled. Uh, as far as uh, working with Joe, I know, like we just talked about, 11 years. Uh, is there a moment, uh, whether on air or uh, doing a remote somewhere, uh, that sticks out uh, amongst uh, the 11 years that you've worked together with him? It's probably, I mean, we've had, we've had so many great moments. We've traveled together. We've seen, you know, traveling with the Jets to watch them during their playoff runs during the Rex era, traveling yeah. with the Mets. We've had a lot of great times off the air. But one of my favorite moments, and it's funny because it was so early on, it was probably our maybe our second year working together, it could have been that long ago, is when we just went at it about Carlos Beltran. We just mm. fought like really passionately about Beltran because he irrationally hated him, yeah. and that kind of pushed me towards irrationally loving him because <laughs> right. I sensed there was so much, like, just not just from Joe, but from a lot of Met fans, like this irrational dislike for Carlos Beltran, and it sort of pushed me into, I always liked Carlos, but into loving Carlos. And I remember... We yelled and screamed off the or on the air about it, and I, I remember as the segment was ending, I was like kind of not worried but more curious, like, "Hey, how's this going to be?" You know, yeah. I just screamed at each other for 15 minutes. I didn't know what to expect because it was still early on. And as soon as the mics went off, he just looked at me and said, "Hey, that was tremendous, bro. That was <laughs> that was pretty good, bro." And like we fist bumped, and that's when I was like, "Oh, I can feel comfortable. We can really yell about literally anything, right. and no one's going to take it personal." So. I think of, I mean, there's so many off-the-air stuff where we had good times, but I always think of that as far as on the air and then that, that little part off-the-air, realizing what, uh, what kind of duty was. No, that's great. And uh, one other thing before we get to some sports, uh, considering that, uh, of course, Mike, exit stage left in uh, December, and obviously there was a lot of talk before then as to who would move into that prime real estate of uh, sports talk of WFAN, uh, was there any consideration for you guys, you and uh, Joe, to get that spot, or was it something that you passed on? I, I would think it'd be tough to pass on it, but considering ten to two is just a good, you know, time frame for you guys, I figured that you probably just said, ah, you know, we're good where we're at. I think we were in the mix uh, together. I think we were in the mix separately. Um, oh, okay. I think that there were probably because replacing Mike is was such, it is such a difficult chore. It was a difficult chore for oh, yeah. sure. And so I think that the station thought about many different things. So what they, they said to us is, look, anything's on the table. So it could have been us. It may not have been us, which it wasn't. It may have been split. I know personally I was always very mixed about it because mm. a part of me, of course, <laughs> afternoon drive in New York City is a great honor, right? Like oh, yeah. It's prime real estate, replacing Mike and all that. And then the other part of me is now, you know, a father with a wife who really likes getting home at a reasonable time. Sure. It's a, it's a great, great time slot. And we make a good living and it's fun and it's something we've done for a long time. And certainly the idea of being split from Joe was never something I was really that excited about. If it right. ever happened, I'm glad it didn't happen. I'll tell you that. Oh, that's good. So I think we were in the mix in a lot of different ways, but I'll tell you, we're very, very happy that we are where we are. And I love the extra hour too, because I felt sometimes like we would do three hours and there'd be like stuff we weren't able to get to. And right. now with that extra hour, I feel like we get to everything. So it worked out for the best, I think. No, that's good. That's good. And I do like the extra hour too because it's an extra hour guest. I try to listen to you as much as I can. Of course, I'll get a lot of the uh, stuff that's downloaded onto uh, fan.com. 
But right. um, you know, but having that extra hour, I can only imagine. Let's say on a football Monday, especially in October when you got uh, playoffs and you got the NFL going on, and I can imagine to try to squeeze everything in that time frame is certainly difficult. That that's where I think we're really going to appreciate it because we started doing it in January, and that was great because you had the NFL playoffs and you have things, so many things yeah. to get to. And even this time of year, I know there's not a lot that jumps out at you that's going on, but right. there are still like a lot of things to talk about, you know, whether it's may not be huge things, but basketball, hockey, spring training, football, the draft, college basketball. So you kind of uh, appreciate it now, but you're so right. September, October, November, that's when we're going to love the extra hour. No, of course. And you know, it's interesting you bring that up because one of the arguments that I have with other, uh, you know, sports fans or people that I know, to me, I think the most, the best sports month of the year is April. I understand a lot of people say October because you're right in the middle of the NFL season, baseball playoffs, NBA, NHL is getting started. But how I look at it as far as April's concerned, you have the NHL and NBA playoffs, baseball season starting, Final Four, uh, draft, uh, the Masters. I mean, to me, that's just, you talk about, you know, you don't even know where to start some, half the times when it comes to some of these uh, events. Uh, what is your take? Do you feel like October is the month for you personally, or do you think April or maybe even another month for that matter? It's close. I mean, you make a great point about April because it's also the raw excitement of a new baseball season. Yes. No matter how bad you think your team is going to be, in baseball, there's that hope. There's that hope of you never really know. And you don't really know. When the Mets won the pennant a couple of years ago in 2015, they didn't exactly come in with championship expectations, right. and even the Yankees last year. So yeah. baseball's kind of that hope springs eternal thing, and you have that in April, and you mentioned the college basketball and the NBA playoffs, which I love, mm-hmm. even though my team is very rarely there now, yeah. <laughs> and the we'll NHL talk about playoffs. Right. I, I think I, man, if I had to pick one, there's something about, I, I give the edge to September only because the combination of the newness of a football season, which mm-hmm. is very exciting because you've been thinking about it for months, and then pennant races. Yeah. So I think... And sometimes it's hit or miss because you may not have any teams in the local area in a pennant race, and so no one, you know, we're not talking about it that much if the Mets aren't Yankees aren't in it. Right. I may be into it as a baseball fan, but we're not breaking down three hours of a Dodger Diamondback pennant race. But <laughs> I think right. the beauty of September, plus I love that time of year. Like, oh, yeah. I, I love the fall, so it's close. And, and oddly enough, no one will ever say this, but I will tell you, okay. I do love February and March only because – since there is so, quote-unquote, little going on, mm-hmm. you really can talk about everything and anything. And so you kind of get off on different tangents sometimes sports-wise that you normally don't talk about, but you can get away with in February because there may not be that one dominating story. So I don't dread this time of year. This time of year, it's a little bit of a challenge sometimes, but in ways it can be fun. No, and that's an interesting point, too, because, uh, right, let's say if it is September or October or even, let's say, April when – you come back on a Monday and you're trying to talk about you know, the Masters or the opening uh, weekend of the NHL playoffs or, hey, maybe something happened in baseball. To try to squeeze that all in is a pain in the rear because you, know, you want to talk about all this stuff, but obviously your time is limited. Whereas this time of the year, if something is going on, whatever it may be, like you said, you still have NFL draft stuff, uh, obviously college basketball, etc. We know all the sports that are on, but at the same time, you feel like you have more time to expand and more time to kind of get into some of these things that you probably wouldn't if it was April or September, October. Yeah, there's more of an obligation 
to talk about certain things. In, I mean, it's the Jets and the Giants and pennant race baseball. You don't really have that room, that ability to talk about other things. And yeah. you at least have that in February or March. With that said, get me to opening day already. Yeah. I'm, I'm ready. <laughs> get me to the NCAA tournament. Get me to opening day. I'm ready to go. Yes, absolutely. And listen, I, I, like I said before, of course, I listen to you, and I know a lot of, the, of your Met perspective. But for uh, the people listening, and I'm a huge Met fan as well as you are, uh, with this team, is so many what-ifs, it's a shame. And I guess you could say that for all 30 teams, but even more so for the Mets, starting with the health, the position players, you know, obviously over 30. Uh, of course, we can go through all the names, but we both know who they are. Uh, but let's just say, for example, if the pitching staff just is chalk, that they have good years, they're solid, that they're obviously the the strength of the team. What is, in your mind, the key with the position players, besides health, of course, in order for them, the Mets, to make a run at a wild card and, dare I say, a division title? Well, if everybody's healthy, like you said, I think they need a monster year out of Yoannis. I mean, Yoannis yeah. Espinosa needs to be that MVP contender. It's amazing. This franchise has never had an MVP, mm-hmm. and they do to have one. I mean, they were yes. due for a no-hitter, and <laughs> they finally got one from Johan, even though it meant his career was basically gone five <laughs> minutes later. But right. I, think, I think it starts with Yoannis. He's their best player. The best of Jay Bruce, the best of Todd Frazier. I don't know what the best of Ahmed Rosario is yet. None of right. us do. Mm-hmm. The best of his Drupal Cabrera. The best of all these guys, it's okay. The best of Yoenis Cespedes is, get on my back, I'm going to carry you. We saw that yeah. uh, during the second half of the 15 run. The, the thing that kind of depresses me, and it shouldn't because it's baseball and you never know, is when you look back at 2015, the Mets did not have a great first half. They got off to that great start, and then they really cooled off. Their lineup was terrible. Right. And the only reason they stayed in that pennant race was because the Washington Nationals were a dumpster fire. Yeah. The Nationals were a disaster, and that's what helped them win the division. And what scares me is as big a dogs as the Nationals are <laughs> come October, yes. they're probably, probably, you never know, maybe there'll be a dumpster fire again, but I hate relying on that. Like right. If everything broke right for the Mets, they're probably still not as good as the Washington Nationals. And that's the one thing that depressing or scary, whatever term you want to use, is that I can't expect the Nationals to be the disaster that they were in 2015 because that's how the Mets won the division. The Nationals won 82, 83 games that year. They were not a very good team. So even if everything broke right, which we're all praying for to the baseball gods, they're probably still not winning the division. The good news is, hey, get to the wild card game, you never know. Right. Hopefully it'll be better than two years ago. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And uh, are you in the majority, the minority in this scenario? Uh, as a huge Met fan, of course, when I look at 2015 and how that run was, and you're thinking to yourself, geez, you know, the pitching is obviously going to be intact. Uh, you know, you'd only hope that you know David Wright will be now 100% considering he played in that World Series. Uh, you know, just a few pieces here and there that we could actually – dare I say, take over the city over the next few years. And then it just seemed like in the blink of an eye, despite making the wild card game there in 2016, it was just gone. It was the biggest flash in the pan. And then the Yankees, here they were in the 2015 wild card game with veterans abound. And obviously you figured that it was going to be a rebuild or maybe a retool. I shouldn't say rebuild, a retool of two, three years. And it's not, it didn't even skip a beat. I mean, as the Met fan that I am, I look at that. Am I jealous? Yeah, a little bit, but even more so. It's like, wow, we just had that one shining moment, and ever since then, it's just been a flame out, it seems. What, what is your uh, feeling about that? It's, it's what the Mets have been throughout their history, yeah. unfortunately, yeah, especially in the history of us watching them. Like, runs don't last. I mean, 2006, 
even when they lost the game in Game 7 in the most brutal way possible, I remember walking out of Shea Stadium thinking, and I'll never think this again, I've learned my lesson, thinking, oh, don't worry, we'll be back. Right. Don't worry. I mean, we've got we got Reyes, we got Wright, Beltron's going to be here. We'll be back. As bad as this is, we're going to avenge it. And they didn't. They choked that like out of their mind in 07. Yeah. They sort of choked in 2008, not as bad as 2007. And then it was all gone. And yeah. They were terrible for a bunch of years. So when they didn't win the World Series in 2015, I, I walked out of that building, game five, and I did not have those thoughts again. My thought was... I don't know when the hell I'm going to be back. Right. I don't know when this is going to happen again. But even though you tell yourself that, you still have hope. You still think with all this young pitching, this could be the Braves. Even if it means, you know, rarely winning a title will be good for a long period of time. And even 2016, like when you think about 2016, and I made a big mistake the other night. Uh-oh. I'm so desperate for baseball. I put on that wild card game. I don't know oh. why I did it. I wanted to rewatch it. I wanted to see all the things that pissed me off from that game. Right. And I know that that shouldn't annoy us because they had so many injuries. DeGrom is out. Harvey's out. Yeah. Like, everybody was hurt. And I remember looking at that lineup and even seeing the pitching staff after Noah, they didn't have much. And I get that. But that gave the hope of, hey, even despite all of the injuries that this team had, despite everything going wrong, Hey, they won a wild card. They got to the wild card game. Right. That means they'll be great in 2017 when everybody's healthy. So for it to go completely backwards like it was 2009 all over again <laughs> is yeah. very, very depressing. And I, I hope they can get back on track because it really – I mean, that can't be it. Right. Like that run can't just be losing a brutal World Series and then, you know, limping to a wild card game. Like that can't be the entire run. So – I hope that these guys can get healthy and they can have at least a couple of more years of good baseball because what's what's scary is that their farm system is so decrepit that I don't know what happens if the pitching can't figure it out. I don't know how they're going to win games consistently and be a contender or else it's going to get bad again, which is just horrible to think about. March 29th is still a couple weeks away, but just hearing that, it certainly doesn't uh, look optimistic. You know, there's not a lot of optimism going around. But uh, uh, how about looking at it with two things uh, before we get to the Yankees? Uh, Matt Harvey, I know your partner seems uh, a little bit more pie in the sky, optimistic about him having a big year, or I won't say big, but just a good year. I, I think you feel the other way when it comes to Harvey, and rightfully so. I mean, just look at the back of his baseball card the last couple of you know, years when he's healthy. He's just been awful. I mean, if we could get anything out of him, geez, uh, who knows? Hopefully that would propel us to at least being into some meaningful games uh, down the stretch in September. Yeah, I, I don't see it. I mean, even in even in the games he's looked good in, like last year, the rare game early in the season where he'd look halfway decent, or even this in this spring training, he's not the same guy. We no. all know that. Like he doesn't have that look in his eye. Forget the velocity; it's the control. Like he is not throwing the baseball exactly where he wants to, like he used to. And I just don't have confidence that I don't really I don't have confidence in anything from Matt Harvey. I mean, the truth is, you're right. Like if he gave them. 30 starts and a 3-5 ERA. I said this on the air the other day. Yeah, yeah. I'd sign for that. Yeah, and That would be great. I don't know if he's capable of doing it. I have confidence in two guys in that rotation, and it's the obvious two guys right. because we've seen them do it. Jacob DeGrom is a pitcher, and he's got stones. Yeah. And he showed he had stones from that moment in Game 5 against the Dodgers because he didn't have his best stuff, and he somehow fought and he clawed and he battled somehow through that game yes. and that's when Jacob DeGrom was a man and anybody who doesn't see it is crazy right. and you know <clears throat> Noah 
Noah's great too, man. I mean, the guy pitched a hell of a game against Bumgarner. Watching that game again, you know, you you kind of forget how great he was in that game. Yes. He just he couldn't get past. The problem was he only pitched seven innings, as opposed to Bumgarner, <laughs> who was able to go all nine. Of course. And then they finally got to the Met bullpen. But I have confidence in those two guys. I think those two guys have a chance to be dynamic. Yeah. But it's very difficult to have faith in Matt Harvey because you just look at him and he's he's not the Matt Harvey we remember. So you hope that okay, well maybe the new Harvey can be decent, like we said. But I just I don't have a lot of confidence that's going to happen. As far as them this year, how I look at it, I know the number was eighty and a half. Uh, I would say go over, yeah. but to me it would just be eighty four, eighty five. Uh, that's just my take. Uh, do you think that they could go high eighties or dare I say even go ninety? I think a lot of things would have to break right. It's possible because I, I, you know, as lack of confidence as I have in Matt Harvey, I, I look at Zach Wheeler and Steven Matz, even mm. though Matz was terrible down the stretch last year or when he pitched last year. Right. You never know. I mean, maybe those guys put it together, but I think the real key is going to be their bullpen. That's going to be the ultimate yeah. key. Uh, can Jay Riss Familia bounce back? Can AJ Ramos be solid? Jerry Blevins, Anthony Swarzak, and then whoever the heck else is in that bullpen after those guys because. Rafael Montero is probably going to start there, and he's terrible. Yep. And yeah. I don't know about Gazelman and who else fills it out, but they're going to need the bullpen to be very, very good. And, you know, you got a couple of guys in contract years, so you never know. Maybe you get great years out of them. Uh, I hope so. Uh, listen, as long as uh, they make it into September and they're within reach or hopefully, you know, have one of the two wildcard spots, uh, listen, I'd sign for it right now. So. Uh, I know we would. It's just it's sad that that's what we've done. <laughs> no, of course, considering you know three years ago we made it to a World Series and two years to a wild card that, uh, yeah, we're just uh, hoping and praying just for uh, that outcome. You know what, though? Here's, here's the positive. Here's All how right. I talk myself into this. Oh, good. Get to a wild card game. If you've got those two guys, Noah and Jake, healthy, yeah. you put them in a short series. That's right. Let's go. Yeah. I'll, I'll take my chances. So. Good. I think that's the positive way you got to look at it. They're not as good as the Nationals. You're you're crazy if you're going to – unless the Nationals just have a million injuries and bad things happen, just on paper they're not as good as the Nationals. So right. get to the playoffs, win that one game, and, you know, ride those two horses. You never know, I that, guess. That's right. That's how it is in the postseason, as we both know. Uh, now, as far as the Yankees, uh, I'm sure there is a, a lot of the fans don't have to wonder whether or not they're going to be playing meaningful games in September. I know that uh, it's tough for me to pick against them or to want to even root for them because uh, as a Met fan, you don't root for the Yankees. But uh, uh, how do you see this team? I'm looking at it from this perspective. How do you see this team not making to the World Series? I mean, well, I think there's a lot of ways they can't make it to the World Series. I mean, it starts with the pitching staff. Uh, Luis Severino was brilliant last year, but he's got to go prove it again. He's yeah. got to go out there and show the world he can go out and throw big innings again and be as dominant as he was last year because he was remarkable. Tanaka can't be worse, but Tanaka may not be healthy. I mean, Tanaka's been pitching with that the potential of Tommy John surgery for a while. Yeah. I think Sonny Gray's okay. I think CeCe's probably coming down after the year he had last year, and who knows about Jordan Montgomery and however else they fill out the rotation if there are injuries. I'm not banking on all that stuff happening. I think the Yankees have a great chance to win this division. I think they're a better team than the Red Sox. They're going to score runs. Like, even if Aaron Judge goes backwards, which logic says he has to because he had a historic year last year, they're going to score a ton of runs. So, on paper, they're a very, very good baseball team. I mean, they should win this division. But the one thing that always worries me, and it doesn't always work out this way, is that when teams surprise, and the Yankees surprised last year, I have a tough time believing that teams are going to do that again. 
doesn't always happen that way. I mean, the Royals surprised me in 2014. They came back, won the World Series in 2015. Right. But on paper, this should be a very, very good team. Uh, you don't know about Aaron Boone, but you know what? <laughs> if you've got the talent, you can overcome what we're not sure of from a manager. No, but of I course. Think what can derail their season is the pitching. That's how it can be derailed. I don't necessarily think it's going to happen, right. but that's how their season could go badly. Right, and then my thing is it's interesting. Speaking of um, just some of the players that they procured other than Stanton and you know the Brandon Drury's of the world, even Adam Lind, I know, of course, you went off on, uh, on him. Not necessarily him per se, but just the whole signing a minor league deal considering the numbers that he had last year. Uh, I'm really surprised that Brian Cashman hasn't pulled the trigger to bring a either number one or two into the mix, considering uh, just the plethora of prospects that he has at his disposal. Uh, and of course, you're seeing it a lot now here in this uh, you know exhibition season that you would think that he would package you know two of these guys to bring back. And I understand you're not going to get that blockbuster trade now. I'm sure he's probably going to wait till July. But even still, uh, for him to hold on to a Clint Frazier or even an Esteban Florial, where we both know that Stanton's not going anywhere, Judge isn't going anywhere. Uh, I guess you want to keep uh, Aaron Hicks here to play center field for you know years to come. But to, to me, I'm surprised he hasn't pulled the trigger yet, but I'm sure come July uh, he's going to have something up his sleeve. You know, I'm gl- I think he's smart for not pulling the trigger, only because, like, the Estevall Floreal is legitimate. And I'm not yeah. saying that because I've seen him play, you know, three games in spring training and he flies around the base paths. Because everybody says he's a legitimate prospect. It's not the Yankees selling it. I mean, Baseball America has him as a top prospect, and he looks like a major, major talent. And if I'm Brian Cashman, I'm waiting. Because I looked at this offseason. Like Garrett Cole, Garrett Cole ain't worth this. No. Garrett Cole's a nice pitcher. He's not a number one. I don't think he's a number two. Now, I don't know who's going to be available. I don't know who that guy is, who that controllable arm, who mysteriously is going to become available. But the Yankees are in a position where because of the money that they have and the prospects that they have, they are the favorite to get anybody oh, yeah. that goes on the trade market. And that's why I, I think he's saving his bullets for the big gun. And Garrett Cole wasn't that guy. I don't even know if Michael Fulmer's that guy. Right. I'm not sure. He worries me because of his health. He had some elbow issues late last season. He looks good. Yeah. And wouldn't that be the ultimate stick it to the Mets fan? Go get Michael Fulmer, <laughs> oh, who's traded for Yoannis. Right. But I think he's playing this smart. Now, I'm not saying this guy's going to become available, but let's just say the Giants are a disaster. Mm-hmm. Let's say bringing in Andrew McCutcheon, and Evan Longoria doesn't work. And let's say they make Madison Bumgarner available. Oh, That's the guy I'm trading my chips for. He's still young. He still doesn't even make that much money. And, oh, yeah, he's probably the greatest postseason pitcher <laughs> of our generation. Yeah. Yeah, you definitely can't argue that. And uh, and that's the one thing about Cashman. You know, just when you think that, you know, laying in the weeds, I mean, we could go through all the trades that he's uh, made over the years. Uh, he, it always seems that like he gets his man more often than not. And uh, I could see if their pitching does struggle, the starting pitching that is, or if somebody gets hurt, I could see him dangling one of the two of those prospects for that big stud pitcher. And then next thing you know, they'll probably be on their way to a World Series. But Yeah, and, and the, the stud pitchers that were out there just don't, they don't do it for me. I mean, Garrett, yeah. like, first of all, who is it? I mean, Garrett Cole is basically the guy. He was the big young arm that was moved. And I'm not saying it's a bad move for the Astros, but when I've got this loaded farm system, I'm waiting. If I'm going to trade these guys, because you don't necessarily have to. I mean, Brett Gardner's a free agent at the end of the year. Aaron Hicks may be gone in two years. Plus, we don't know how good Aaron Hicks is. The guy right. has one good half in his yeah. entire career. Mm-hmm. So, Florial could be on this roster. Clint Frazier, I'm, a, I'm having a tougher time believing he will be. Eventually, they may move him. But, 
I think Cashman is playing this perfectly. He's waiting for the guy. And I, look, Bumgarner, it's likely not him. I'm just, right. I'm throwing a guy out there that you never know. Like right now, no one, he, of course he's not available. The Giants are trying to win, sure. but you just don't know what's going to happen. And he's in position to get anybody he wants because of the load of prospects he has and the money if it involves taking back any kind of contract. Right. So now uh, I like uh, your five-second uh, World Series pick just off the top of your head. I'm sure uh, you've done it to a lot of their uh, – uh, you know, whether it's the writers or, uh, you know, of course, the John Heyman's of the world. Uh, so in five seconds, what is your World Series pick for this year? The Indians against the Cubs. Oh, wow. You're going back to uh, 2016. Yeah, I, think... I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm not giving it. I'm not, it's not a well-thought-out prediction. It's the five-second prediction. Exactly. You know I mean, like I haven't – the Indians have their issues. Trust me. It's just that every, what scares me is everybody is saying the Yankees. Yeah. Everybody. And I get it. It's not a knock on them. They're an incredibly talented team. They're a loaded team with a great bullpen, with an amazing lineup. Like, it's not, it's not like, crazy for anybody to think the Yankees are going to win the World Series or win the pennant, but it just scares me. Everybody's, everybody's <laughs> picking them. You're right. No, of so course. not the Indians? No. They have a, the Indians are in such a bad division, too. Like, despite any flaw that they have, think about it. The Tigers, the White Sox, and the Royals are probably all god-awful baseball teams. Right. And I don't know about Minnesota. I give them credit. They've had a good offseason. They brought in Odorizzi. They're trying. But I don't know how good they are. Last year kind of came out of nowhere. They went from 100-plus losses to winning 84, 85 games. So yeah. even by accident, the Indians should win the division. Oh, sure. And, uh, yeah, I say Cubs-Yanks. And, again, it's, that's the knee-jerk reaction to, uh, you know, five seconds. But um, – once we get closer toward the start of the season, I'll have a better uh, idea as to who I would pick for my uh, World you're gonna, Series. You're going to eventually think about it, and you're going to pick the Nationals. You're going <laughs> to say, you know what? They're so due to win a round, yes. they'll win two rounds. Right. No, of course. No, and watch this be the year. Could you imagine? This will be the year that the Nats, they'll probably just make a wild card. Uh, you know, Scherz will be on the shelf for some time, even though he never gets hurt. But uh, Or Strasburg will take him. And then they just crawl into the playoffs, and then they have this killer run, and then they finally win a World Series. Because you know how that goes. When everybody predicts you to win, you never win. And when you fly under the radar or you're laying in the weeds, that's when they come out and they become world champions. God, I would hate to see that happen. Oh, I mean, so the idea I. of the Washington Nationals, I don't want them winning a round, let alone <laughs> getting a World Series and winning a World Series, but... You never know. I mean, if if I always say this, if you get to the playoffs every single year, eventually, <laughs> by accident, yeah. you're going to get hot and go on a run. Eventually. Right. And they lose all these killer game fives at home. And, uh, oh, geez, I mean, one of these years you'd think they'd win one of, the, one of these series. But uh, that's just their luck. And, hey, better them than us. So that's, uh, that's all i got to say about that. Uh, yeah, I guess. I mean, I'd like to be in the playoffs, but I understand. Like, the, having to deal with brutal losses every year would be would be pretty difficult to, to kind of comprehend. All right, so let me sandwich, before I get to um, the Jets and Giants, I'm going to sandwich this with a quick question for basketball. Uh, five years from now, you figure LeBron will be gone. Who knows what the Celtics will be like then? If you had to choose, and of course you're a huge Net fan, this team, if the Knicks or the Nets would make a conference final first in the next five years, who do you think it would be? I still say the Knicks because of KP, even though he had the ACL injury. The the Knicks at least have an identifiable guy who, despite you know the, some Knicks fans turning on him at sometimes this year, right. has a chance to be a great player. He really does. He has a chance to be a superstar player. I don't feel like anybody on this current net roster can be that. I like Spencer Dinwiddie. I like Karis LeVert. Mm. I like Ronnie Hollis Jefferson. Yeah. I like a lot of guys. <laughs> but none of them 
are those franchise-changing guys. And the Knicks have a lottery pick coming this year. Nets don't because it's still going to Boston. Well, now it's Cleveland. Right. And the Knicks are going to be terrible next year, right? They're likely going to be terrible. KP's going to miss half the year. So you're talking about adding two top ten, maybe even next year a top five guy, to a core that, you know, it's really just KP and Tim Hardaway and Frank Nilekina, while the Nets have to wait another year to get a lottery pick. So it's not a knock on Kenny Atkinson. It's not a knock on Marks. It's just that this is a superstar league, and I think the Knicks have the better shot at having that superstar in Kristaps Porzingis, despite the injury, over anybody on the net roster. Right, but I'm sure you do like the direction of uh, where your team is going, uh, considering the coach, the GM. I understand you got to get the players. That's all that uh, matters. And, of course, if you're going to try to lobby with those with the Knicks to try to get those players to Brooklyn as opposed to Madison Square Garden, we all know that's difficult. But I'm sure you're going to see some progress what do you think in the next five years, how far can the Nets go once they get past this year with the whole uh, Celtic trade disaster? Well, the, the problem is, like you said, they need players. And while they have good young pieces right now, they don't have the star players to build around. I'm not convinced D'Angelo Russell's ever going to be that guy that you can build a championship-caliber team around. I still need to see more of him. He missed a big chunk of time this year with the knee injury. But that's the biggest problem. They're not getting a lottery pick this year. Right. So... Sure, there's been progress. I get it. I mean, they lose every single night now. So it's starting to wear on me about all this progress. You know, you need to win some games, and they've lost, I think it's like 14 out of 15 now. It's getting ridiculous. So, yeah, there's progress. And I trust Marks. I think he knows what he's doing. And I think he's done a really good job considering the awful situation he inherited. So I absolutely give him credit for that. But when we talk about winning and making the postseason, they're still still a long ways away. They still need players, and it's – it's tough. I know it's not his fault, and he's done the best he could to bring back assets and picks. I mean, the Nets do have a first-round pick this year. The problem is, it's not their own. It's the Raptors, yeah. and the Raptors <laughs> are having an amazing season. So, sure, it's a first-round pick, and it was a great trade that he made to even acquire that. He basically dumped the contract, got back a first end to Mari Carroll. So right. it was a great trade. I, I give Mark's credit, but they're, they're a ways away. It's depressing, but it's i got to wait a long time before I see another playoff game in Brooklyn. Oh, geez. Well, hopefully it comes sooner than later, but right, uh, based on uh, what you just said and you know how, uh, how it's going, it, it, it's probably going to look that way. Now, hopefully, let's turn your attention to football real quick. Do you want Kirk Cousins signed on your, to, to your team? No. Oh, good, because I'm in the minority when it comes to that, because the opposite, I feel just draft a quarterback if you can. And I'm glad that you said that because – I know some people will come out and say, well, hey, Nick Foles took the Eagles to a Super Bowl you know, victory, and he was a backup. And not to say that to compare Nick Foles to uh, Kirk Cousins, but the point of the matter is if you bring a guy like Cousins in, who knows? With a good defense, obviously you put a couple pieces around him, not to say this coming year, but maybe 2019-2020, and who knows? Maybe he could take you to a Super Bowl. I look at it as like, no, draft a quarterback. It's going to be a couple more years, but you know what? At least you'll have him in the mix with all the other players that you're going to procure over the course of the next couple of years and then take your run. That's how I look at it. It sounds like you feel the same way. Well, yeah, and, and also remember this, like, and this is not a knock on Nick Foles, but Carson Wentz went 11-2 and this year. Yeah. So Nick Foles took over a team that was ready-made as a number one seed in the NFC, and in the postseason he didn't screw it up, and he played incredibly well. I give him credit. But Nick Foles did not take them and win them a Super Bowl. Nick Foles joined in on a team that was led by Carson Wentz, who was going to win the MVP before he got hurt, 
and he did a he did a great job. But it's not like Nick Foles started 16 games and he was the quarterback right. that led the Philadelphia Eagles to the Super Bowl. It, it's it's weird. It's one of those moves where if they signed him, like if it came out, you know, next week when free agency began, the Jets signed Kirk Cousins. I'm not gonna throw things. I'm not gonna have a fit. And I'm probably going to be excited for the star of the year because Kirk Cousins is a good quarterback. He's a good quarterback. Yeah. No, I he is. No, I don't think he's a great quarterback. Maybe he will be with a better roster. I mean, the Washington Redskins have not exactly done him favors the last couple of years. And when we went over this on the air last week, it was kind of weird when you compare Kirk Cousins' pre-free agency statistics and numbers to Drew Brees' pre-free agency statistics and numbers. They're almost the same. So who knows? Maybe Kirk Cousins comes to New York, everything works, and I'm not going to say he's Drew Brees, but (laughs) it turns out to be a great signing. But I don't want to do it because you have to pay a quarterback who we know is good, but we're not sure if he's great, $25 million, $30, whatever this stupid figure it is. And then you've got to build the rest of the roster. And if you draft the right young quarterback, you're given that kind of time that Seattle had where not only do you have a good young quarterback, you have a cheap young quarterback. And then you can use all the money and the assets to fill out other holes on the roster. And it just kind of it reeks of Mike McCagnan and Todd Bowles just need to win games to keep their jobs. So let's just go get Kirk Cousins. And I'm I'm in it, as any fan is, for the long haul. I'm not in it for a year or two. I'm not in it to keep my job. I'm in it to win (laughs) consistently for a long period of time. And I think most Jet fans want their franchise quarterback. So go get it in the draft instead of just signing a good quarterback. It's not a knock on Kirk. He's a good quarterback, there's no doubt. But I don't know if he's a great quarterback. Right. And now if you're uh, Dave Gettleman to put on your GM hat, would you draft a quarterback? Now, I, I would only hope that you think if you were the GM, you're not going to draft Saquon Barkley for the reasons we don't even need to get in, you know, into. But would you draft that quarterback considering that you know Eli still has probably a couple years left? Or would you go draft an offensive tackle or uh, a pass rusher in this case? I have to draft a quarterback because it's kind of similar to the whole long view thing. If I'm just trying yeah. to win a Super Bowl right now, if that's all I care about, I just want one more ring for Eli. The world's going to end in two years. I just need to win right now. Then, hey, go draft Saquon Barkley then hey, while yeah. you're at it. You know, go get a running back who has a chance to be, what, the next Ladanian Tomlinson, yeah. uh, you know, all-world talent, and go try to win. But if you don't draft a quarterback now to replace Eli Manning, you better hope Davis Webb is the answer because you don't want to go into the wilderness of not having a franchise quarterback. We just talked about the Jets. They've been in the wilderness for decades now. So. <laughs> right. I know short-term, it doesn't help you. I totally get that. Yeah. Short-term. For the guys who want to win right now, it does not help you to use the number two overall pick on a quarterback. But two, three years from now, <laughs> yeah. you're going to love it if this guy ever developed. And, and what's great is you give the guy time to develop. Like if you draft Josh Rosen or Sam Donald or whoever it is, Josh Allen, who's more of the project, yeah. you're not even putting the pressure on them to play right away. You're telling them, hey, you're the apprentice to Eli. Go learn, collect information, and – you know, we'll give you a chance to play down the road. It's what happened with uh, Carson Palmer behind John Kitna. So it, it yeah. happened. It just doesn't happen often anymore because teams are in a rush to just play their rookie quarterback right away. So it's actually a great situation for whoever they draft, if they do draft a quarterback. Yeah, I would think if I'm a Giant fan, I would certainly draft a quarterback just for the same exact reasons that you mentioned because nobody says you have to kick Eli to the curb and say thanks for the memories and then have this guy come in, whomever it may be, you know, week one and try to, you know, build from there. And I, I think Eli would understand that. I understand that, hey, listen, he brought you those two titles. 
He's uh, been the face of the franchise forever, all-time giant. We get that. But I would also think that he would be understanding to know that if you bring in this quarterback, that although he's not going to start right away, it's certainly not going to hurt his feelings knowing that in two years, you know what, he's going to ride off into the sunset. Oh, absolutely. I mean, this isn't – I remember a few months ago the talk was draft a quarterback and get rid of Eli Manning. That's not what's happening anymore. Right. So it's it's not a knock on Eli Manning and what he's done the last few years. It's more of a, hey, look at your age. You know, eventually we have to replace you. We don't think you're playing until you're 45 years old. <laughs> right. So I think that it, it makes a lot of sense. It's not a knock on Eli. Like, I remember when Gettleman was saying, well, we watched the tape of Eli. I like what I've seen. This has nothing to do with the tape on Eli Manning. It has yeah. nothing to do with that. Your short-term plan has to do with the tape on Eli Manning, but long-term, drafting a quarterback is not about 2018 or 2019, potentially. It's about maybe 2020. So yeah. it has nothing to do with what I think Eli has left or what they think Eli should have left. It should be the plan to replace him because it's coming. It's going to happen at some point, and unless you believe, if they believe Davis Webb is the guy, if they are so sold that that's their next franchise quarterback, then God bless them. Just understand that if you don't draft a quarterback now, to me it's almost like Gettleman and Shermer drafted Davis Webb because they will be attached to the decision that he's the replacement for Eli Manning down the road. All right, a couple more cookies for me before I let you go, Evan. I appreciate you, of course, spending uh, you know just almost an hour or 45 minutes with me. Uh, if it's the Mets, Nets, or Jets were to win a title, which one would be the sweetest? It would have to be the Mets, right? Because that's my first. Yeah. You know that the Mets is a team that got me into sports. That's the thing my dad taught me when I was a kid. In fact, recently, my dad had season tickets starting in 1976. Wow. And my dad has taught me how to be very anal as far as keeping track of everything. He kept track of every game he went to and all that. Uh-huh. So I asked him. I say, "When was my first game? You know, how old was I?" And he revealed I was. Nine months old was my oh. first game. Wow. But he also revealed, which I found more interesting, when my first opening day was. Because mm. I know I've been to opening day every single year as long as I can remember, but what was the first? Yeah. And he told me 1991 when I was seven years old. Oh, so that man. was kind of cool. So, I mean, that, it's, it's got to be the Mets. That's what my dad got me into sports with. So it's much more – the question is much more difficult when someone says Nets or Jets. I don't have an answer to that. They, they really do feel like they're so different. And the sports yeah. are so different, but they feel so even. Mm-hmm. But I think I'm more known as a Net fan because no one else really likes the Nets. <laughs> right. My radio partner is Joe Beningo, who's the king of the Jets. Yeah. So <laughs> even if they're equal, the perception is much easier that, well, you clearly like the Nets more than the Jets. Right. That's not really the case. It's just that's the way the perception probably is. No, of course. And then uh, lastly, uh, as far as a dream interview, who would it be? Uh, of course, alive. I get a lot of people ask, "Well, oh, is he dead or alive?" Because I figured if the person was not around, it'd be probably Abraham Lincoln. Because I know how much of a Lincoln guy you are. But uh, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but um, no, just sticking it to sports. I mean, unless it's somebody bigger than that, uh, if you were to sit across a chair from somebody and have you know half hour, however long it may be, who would it be? Now, the athlete can be dead or alive, or do you want the athlete to be alive? Oh, I'd like for him to be alive. But you, if you say, "Hey, listen, I'd rather you know." I want to speak to Walter Payton for a half hour, if you could do that. But whatever it may be, we'll just say alive for this uh, for this discussion. A live athlete. I thought about this. It's probably it's probably Tom Brady. Really? It's probably Tom Brady. Yeah, because I, I really, really, really hate him from a sports perspective. I don't hate him as a human, <laughs> obviously. Right. I'm sure he's a halfway decent guy, but I don't know. That man has brought me 
so much pain and so much anger over the years mm. that I'd love to talk to him. Uh, I would just love to be able to get you know a half hour to pick his brain, talk about his career, yell at him a little bit. <laughs> I think he'd be the number one guy, and I, and I think a part of why it's Tom Brady is I've been fortunate enough to interview a lot of the guys that I've always wanted to interview. Like as a kid, mm-hmm. I loved Doc Gooden. I've had a chance to interview Doc Gooden. Right. So I think, I think if I had to pick one, it's Tom Brady. If if the person's dead, it's a tie between Babe Ruth and Jackie Robinson. Mm. For for two totally different reasons. I mean, of I'd be depressed listening to Jackie, just hearing about Ugh. the horrible, horribleness that he had to deal with. Right. And he's one of the most important Americans. I mean, oh, if sure. you think about it. And I think from Babe's perspective, it would be more comedic, because I would just love to pick his brain about everything he did away from the field. <laughs> I think he had a fun time. And oh, yeah. also on the field and everything to go with that. No, absolutely. And if those are two good guys that you want to, uh, that are no longer here, of course, to be able to sit down and have a chance to talk with them. That's amazing. Uh, Evan, uh, again, I can't thank you enough for uh, spending some time with me today on my podcast. Uh, I'll have it up in a few weeks. I'll certainly uh, tweet it to you. And if you want to tweet it out or whatever, that'd be uh, great. Uh, well, hey, let's go, Mets. We'll still be listening, uh, of course, FAN, 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. here in New York each and every day, well, Monday through Friday, and also on Saturdays. I know you're on 10 to 1, too, and that's got to be tough considering now you got the extra hour and then you come in on a Saturday, especially with this type of weather. Is that a uh, tricky enough for you to have that extra day, or is it uh, it's just work? Well, I'll tell you a little secret. I don't know how much of a secret it actually is, but I now do my Saturdays from home. So ah. I made it a hell of a lot easier, <laughs> I will tell you that. Oh, man. It makes, the commute, it makes the commute much, much easier, but that was... Uh, a new perk that I was able to get, and it's great because I get to spend more time with my family, and I get to do the Saturday show, which I really, really enjoy doing. Right. So it's the best of both worlds, so I do appreciate that. Oh, that's great. And listen, I'm sorry. I got one last thing for you, and this is totally unrelated to sports, but it's, in fact, in reference to your health. A few weeks ago, I heard that you were actually on the bike. I think it was that 70-degree day, or one of those days where you were actually on the bike, where you were, I guess, riding up the west side or what have you. And, of yeah. course, you got into that accident a couple of years ago, which obviously we don't have to relive that. But uh, I'm actually surprised that you got back on the wagon so to speak to uh go out there and especially in manhattan as we all know how dangerous it is uh was that something that uh you just figured that hey i gotta overcome this or was it something that you said hey this is the only way to get around without having to jump on a subway or uh well i I think it's i think it's two things i think number one it's like it's like the saying you know you fall off a bike you get back on it but i've i've put myself in a situation now where i'm much safer so I only really bike on the West Side Highway bike route, which is ah. a very, very safe route. And so I never have to deal with cars. I'm dealing with pedestrians. I'm dealing with other bikers. And so it's made the transition, the return, if you will, much easier because I'm not dealing with cars and taxis. And yeah. I don't know if I would. I don't know if I would. I don't know if I would ever, you know, bike cross town now. It would probably be very difficult because I'd be afraid thinking sure. back to to what happened. So. I kind of got the best of both worlds where I'm able to bike, I'm able to get back on the bike, but I'm doing it in an environment where there's always, look, there's, no matter where you are, there's risks. I can fall off the bike. I can right. crash into a person, uh, which would be bad for them, but also bad <laughs> <Right>. for me. <laughs> of course. I could, I could flip over. I mean, there, there are risks when you're on a bike, but there's a lot less risks where I'm biking, so I think that's made it a lot easier. That's great, man, because obviously we want to have you around for a long time to listen to you on the air. And, uh, again, it's an absolute pleasure and treasure to have you on, Evan. Uh, Many thanks, and uh, hopefully we'll talk to you uh, sometime down the road. No problem. Thanks for having me. I appreciate the kind words and uh, any time, my friend. All right. I appreciate it. Thanks, Evan. All right, guys. Hope you enjoyed that discussion with Evan Roberts. 
I could have taken up his whole afternoon. That's how good he was. I really hope you feel the same. Certainly want to thank him for being a guest on the podcast. All right, on the webpage, in the show notes, I'll uh, post the Twitter handle for Evan, which is at Evan Roberts WFAN. I'll also have the link for WFAN where you can either stream the show or download their interviews as they get a ton of great guests. Again, they're on WFAN 660 AM and 101.9 FM New York. You can stream them at WFAN.com. But of course, I'll have that in the notes if you ever want to take a look and click on some of the interviews that they've had over the past uh, couple of weeks or even far back as a couple of months. So uh, certainly take a look at that. I'm uh, working on getting the uh, next couple of guests up next week. Uh, it'd be interesting to see if I have a either New York Mets therapy session or a New York Mets 2018 preview. It could go in a bunch of different directions. Uh, a couple of old friends of mine that I actually played softball with, I've known them for over a decade, and they're huge, diehard Met fans, Scott and Jerome. You may hear them throughout the course of the year, depending on how good the Mets may be or how bad they may be, but it'll certainly be a very entertaining podcast with them too as they have different angles and different perspectives of how they feel about what the 2018 Mets will be, how it was constructed, the Will Ponds, etc. I'm uh, looking forward to getting them uh, recorded this week and have him on possibly next week or certainly before opening day, which would be March 29th. So definitely uh, keep an eye out for that. You can certainly check the website at www.jreels.com for information regarding that program or any other future guests. Uh, still working on getting the site at 100%. I'm about 80 90%. Still have a few tweaks to uh, do on the website, I guess, for lack of a better word. But we're almost there. And uh, feel free to send a comment at thejreelspodcast.com. Please don't forget to subscribe to iTunes, Google Play, Spreaker, working on Stitcher. They're giving me a little bit of a hassle here. But wherever you may listen or download your content, I greatly appreciate it. Uh, literally takes a minute to do so. I stress that because the more that people subscribe to this podcast, the more visibility for the podcast and in turn will generate better guests to come on not only in the near future, but certainly down the road in the distant future. It goes without saying how much I appreciate and thank you guys for taking the time to either subscribe, spread the word, share with people who like, love, follow, or crave sports. I know it sounds super cliche, but it's the damn truth, people, because without you guys, there's no J Reels podcast. From the South Bronx, the South Beach, the South Central, to South Pacific, and all points beyond, peace, love, and God bless everybody. And until next week, on the flip, baby.